0: Uh, we're going to experience of the celebration seeing Saratoga Springs launched, as we've been hearing, but also next weekend is the beginning of a brand new sermon series called "Dealing with Difficult People." Now, I know you got them in your life, right? People who annoy the daylights out of you, who drive you up the wall, or people who maybe are just kind of mildly tough to get along with. We're going to talk about numerous kinds of difficult people, and uh, this would be a great time to invite a friend. You might even want to invite a difficult person to come with you, and uh, it might be helpful for your whole relationship. Seriously, we're going to have a lot of fun, and it's going to lead us right up through Palm Sunday weekend, right on the brink of Easter. What a great, great time this is going to be, and we kick that off. Next weekend. Well, last weekend we began a brand new mini series called Useful to God. And we made a deal, if you'll recall. We really did. We struck a deal. You gave me grace that I didn't need to talk about. Obviously, the person who's useful to God is a person of integrity. A person who has tremendous Christian character, a person who is really into the Word of God and internalizing that Word, a person of fervent prayer to God, where prayer is just like spiritual breathing to him or her, a person who's in good, healthy fellowship with other believers, and so on and so forth. And we struck that deal because, you know, we should take those as givens, right? Uh, Any Christian that's healthy is going to be engaged in those kind of things on a a pretty significant level. So just say a a word to to you if you're struggling in your Christian journey. I, I want you to know God uses those positive, transforming disciplines, like some of the things I just named and others. He uses those to lavish his grace on our lives and help us change and become the kind of people he really wants us to be. So we struck a deal that we'd take those as givens, and we're going beyond that in this mini-series and talking about the kind of woman or man that God tends to use, all right? And I'm intrigued by this topic. I don't know about you, but I've had so many interesting conversations about it since last weekend. I've tried to study this for years because I'm absolutely kind of Mesmerized by this whole idea that God takes a person and He uses that person for His purposes in the world. So, what we said last week is God tends to use a person who has a dream. Not much starts till somebody starts dreaming. Somebody has to have a goal, a vision, a preferred future that God has planted in your heart. And we said that any dream is noble as long as it's from the heart of God. It could be big, it could be small, it doesn't matter. But if it's from the heart of God, planted in your heart, it's it's a noble dream, one worth moving toward. And secondly, we said that God tends to use the person who is willing to risk even failure, even failure, to pursue that dream God's planted in their heart. And so I'm going to pick up right there this week. In fact, that's why in your sermon notes, it starts with Roman numeral number three. That's not a typo. We're we're picking up right where we left off last week. And we're going to now look at two more major characteristics of the kind of person that God tends to use. So I invite you to jump in with me. Third, God uses the person, catch this now, who expects to be used by God. They have a positive sense of enthusiasm, of expectancy. God is at work. God loves me. God's going to use my life. God wants to work through me and bless me so I can be a blessing to others. Here's a name you ought to remember. William Carey. William Carey is called by many the father of the modern missionary movement. William Carey was a British man who spent his life in India taking the gospel to people in India. Amazing man. And he made a statement that has become one of my absolute favorites through the years. Here's what he said. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Isn't that a great statement? Attempt great things for God. And expect great things from God. And I would say to you that 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 saying is so special to me. Because I honestly believe I see that in the kinds of people that God uses. They have this sort of enthusiastic expectancy that, that God is at work. I love this verse in Matthew 9, 29. Notice what it says. Then he, that is Jesus, touched their eyes and said, according to your faith will it be done To you. God says there's a sense in which, now watch this closely, there's a sense in which you get to determine how much I'm going to bless and use your life. Now, don't stone me quite yet. All right? God never loses his sovereignty. I hope we understand that. That's the problem with some theologies today where God becomes our lackey in the sky and we can command God around to do anything we want God to do no matter what it is. That's not what I'm talking about. But God has said that faith is a major factor in how much I use you. How much do you believe? How much do you expect? How much do you trust that I'm going to use you? I'm still going to weave and work my sovereign plan, but I invite you because we have a personal relationship, right? God says, I invite you to be a part of that. And I'm not looking to particularly bless the person who's just sitting there like a bump on a log, has no trust, no faith, no sense of expectancy. I'm looking for the person whose heart is fully committed to me and who expects that I will use him or her. And my friend, that creates an enthusiastic person right there. Because you walk around every day thinking, God is at work in me. God is looking to use me. God is looking to bless me so I can be a blessing. Now, in the early days of grace, let me get real autobiographical here for just a moment. As I shared last week, this is kind of an unusual series where I'm just being very autobiographical, a lot of personal stuff, way more than usual. I hope that's okay with you. Uh, But I just, cut me anywhere you want. I bleed this stuff that I'm talking about now. So in the early days of grace, I shared this with the congregation. There was about 70 people. And I made some of the most crazy, audacious statements you've ever heard. I said, by God's grace, I believe a day will come when through this congregation, through your efforts and your faith and your trust and your obedience, I believe God is going to save thousands of people in the capital district through you and it continues to grow the congregation you see our job is to build people we're just going to keep building people and pouring into people and as we build people people will build the church and the kingdom of god will expand one day there'll be thousands of people worshiping in this church and thousands will have come to christ because of this body of believers now, how do you think that sounded to those 70 people gathered in a little storefront? Is that crazy or what? I mean, that's absolutely idiotic to somebody who doesn't understand how faith works. I like a statement that another great missionary said. His name is Hudson Taylor. He said there are actually three phases to God's work. Impossible, possible, and done. Impossible, possible, and Done. God's looking for people who expect that he's at work, who believe that God didn't die, that he's still on the throne, that he's still moving, that he's still working. I believe that. I hope you do. I live that every day. I get up every day with a sense of expectancy. God, use my life today to make a positive difference in this world. Now, that didn't start when this church started. God had been working in my life, even as a teenager, and building that expectancy in me. Can I just go back, way back, way back to Leoma, Tennessee for just a moment on the cotton farm. Here we go. I'd been saved at the age of 13. You know what I mean by saved? I had repented of my sin, acknowledged the gospel was true. Acknowledged that what Jesus did on the cross for me was the complete payment for my sins. I was trusting in that. I yielded and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ at the age of 13. God began to change me from the inside out. And one of the practices that I developed early on in this little farmhouse where I grew up is every evening I would kneel beside my bed... Every night, never missed a night, knelt beside my bed, confessed all my sins, and there was a lot of them, all right? I was growing, I was learning, I still had so much changing to do, you know, a couple of days ago, I became perfect, but back then, I really had a lot of changing to do, okay? And so I'd confess my sins to God, and I would kneel beside my bed. I'm a teenager, 13, 14, 15, 16, it continued all throughout those years, And here's a prayer that I prayed over and over again. God, as I read the Bible, I I started memorizing Scripture and reading the Scripture all the way through, read it it every day. God, I I see that you want to use my life. I don't understand that, but God, would you please use my life? In fact, God, would you, I prayed this over and over again, would you please blow my mind? That was my phrase. Would you please blow my mind with how you use my life? I have no pedigree, I have no network, I have nothing going for me. I'm just a little kid praying beside a bed on a cotton farm in Tennessee. God, I expect you to use my life. Would you please use my life in ways that I don't even now understand? Well, I heard that you ought to go to college. Nobody in my family had ever gone gone to college. So I didn't know what that was about. In fact, when I got to college, just to give you an idea of how green I really was, I kept hearing this word semester. The word semester had never been used in my house. I want you to know. I don't know what word we used in high school, but it must have been quarters. or so. I didn't know what the word semester was. I kept hearing this word semester, and I had to ask somebody, what does that mean? That's how green I was to the college scene. But I went to college. I'd been accepted to Carson Newman College in Jefferson City, Tennessee. I showed up not knowing what the financial plan was going to be. So I went through uh, registration. I show up at the financial desk. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to get books and all that stuff. I show up at the financial desk. And the person says, how are you going to pay? And I looked at her and this is God's truth. I said, I have a, absolutely no idea. <laughs> she didn't laugh. she stared at me for several seconds, just kind of stared at me, and she could see that I was just utterly sincere. I have no idea. And she had me fill out some papers, and I found out, that I was eligible for some aid that I wasn't aware of. And my family had never made over $4,000 in a year. And so I was eligible for some financial aid. And I was able to get a job to work 20 to 25 hours a week, which I did all the way through college. But I want you to, this is what I want you to hear. I just went expecting that God would work that out. Maybe I was just that crazy. I just went expecting that God had my back. I expected that God would use my life. You know why? Because I'd been asking him to. And he had built in my life a real sense of belief and trust that you know what? There's three phases to God's work. Impossible, possible, and done. And so the next time you use the word impossible, get, you ought to listen for Snickers from heaven. Because faith works in the realm of the impossible. And and you just expect good things to happen. That, that, that's a God-given thing. This is not just positive mental attitude I'm talking about. Positive mental attitude gives out way before this. This kind of God-given enthusiasm. See the word enthusiasm. It's etymology is in theos, in a little preposition, and theos, the Greek word for God, enthusiasm, when you get in God and God in you, you're gonna be enthusiastic. In fact, can I ask you something? How can some of you call your I'm being real personal here, because we're a team, we're a family, right? How can some of you call yourself a Christian and not be enthusiastic about the kingdom of God? That bugs me. Because if God is in you and you're in God, you've got the very definition of enthusiasm in theos. God in you and you in God. Real Christians should be flourishing with enthusiasm. And you just go through life every day expecting God is on my team. I'm on God's team. And if God is for me, who who can be against me? I have some sense of say in how God is going to use my life. He's still sovereign. But he's invited me to have a part in that. And a further thing about that is I expect God to bring other people to help me. I didn't expect that those 70 people when I started making those declarations would be the only people. Expected there would be a whole lot more folks that would come along and say you know what i believe god too and i've just had the attitude from the time i was a teenager i want my life to be an embarrassment to the devil i want my life to just frustrate the daylights out of the devil i want the devil to look at me and go i hate that guy he's just foolish enough to believe god bunch of you are too you're just foolish enough to believe god that god will actually use your life i've been encouraged so many times when i've been a little down when that enthusiasm was being tested i've gone back to this statement i don't know who wrote it or i'd give them credit but i heard it years ago and i took it and said i like that so let me read it to you Great people are ready to help me at the right time in the right way. People I don't even know yet. I promise I will never give up up because I don't have the help. But I will trust God to provide. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him to help you do it. And he will, says Psalm 37, 5. God has the resources to help you that you have not even considered There are multiplied thousands of people with all kinds of talents, skills, concerns, and contacts that God can bring into your life in order to fulfill his plan. So open your eyes and see the faces of people around you. Open your ears to hear what they're saying today, tomorrow, next week. You will meet someone who is just the person you need and that right person will come along to fill the right place at just the right time and you will marvel knowing that God arranged it so beautifully. I've prayed that. I've believed that for years now and still do. When we moved from our, fir- from our Three-Saron uh, to our Three-Saron commercial drive building years ago, we were one campus, not multiple campuses. We'd gone from our first storefront, marched across Wolf Road to the 3 serone Commercial Drive building. At that time, the church was several hundred people. God was fulfilling that. I prayed that so many times. God, would you bring those people? And God was doing it. And one of the people that God had uh, brought to the church, in fact, at the very beginning, was a man named Stu Colby. Some of you know Stu, a wonderful man. Stu and Carol had been friends of Debbie and me for many years. And Stu was a, a vice president of Key Bank. When I visited him once in his office down in the upper floor of a downtown building, it was one of the biggest, nicest offices I've ever seen in my life. He had been at Key Bank for many, many years, was an experienced and fantastic leader. And as I was praying for an executive pastor, God put Stu on my heart. But I was afraid to ask him, really. I, I, I thought it, it would just be silly, you know. Stu's got such a great job. He's making so much money. I mean, what am I going to do? Ask him to come to work for the church for peanuts? I mean, come on. This guy's uh, a great leader. He's got all kinds of ability. And so we marched across that day. It was September the 15th, 1996. And I had this churning in my heart. You need to ask Stu to help. And so I walked up to Stu that morning. It was a morning of celebration. We marched across. We'd linked arms around the building at 3 Sarone Commercial Drive, the place we called the Space Place, because that had been the name of the, the little business there before we bought the building. And I walked up to Stu, and I said, Stu, I, I, you may think I'm crazy, but I just felt the nudge from God to ask you if you'd be willing to consider, just pray about it, just pray about it. If you'd be willing to consider just coming and helping me as my executive pastor and working here at the church. I kid you not, Stu Colby turned white as a sheet. And he didn't say a word. It was awfully strange. I mean, Stu's very conversational. He's a great, he didn't say a word. He just kind of turned and went away. I think he tried to mumble a couple of things. But it was almost inarticulate. Later in the day, that afternoon, he called me at home. And he said, Rex, I just wanted to follow up. I was so so taken aback by what you asked me. I, I couldn't really say much at the time. But what you need to know, the back story is, God had me up in the middle of the night praying. And God's been moving me into ministry. And I believe he wants me to retire from the bank. And he's moving me into ministry. And I said to God about 3 o'clock this morning, God, if you want me to be in ministry, you've got to have somebody ask me. And a matter of hours later, you walked up to me and said, Hey, Stu. God has done that over and over again. And over again in the history of this church, God uses the people who expect to be used by God. But very quickly, let's look at one other characteristic of the kind of women and men that God tends to use. He uses the person who has a dream. He uses the person who's willing to risk even failure to pursue that dream. He uses the person who expects to be used by God. And one other thing, God uses the person who never gives up. I like Jesus' statement in Luke chapter 9. Would you look at this? This is incredible. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to make a statement right now. I hope you'll note it in your notes. I hope you'll write these words down. "This is worth your trip into worship service today. Uh, some of you pay lots of money for fancy conferences you go to on how to be a success in business, how to be a success, you know, out in the world, in whatever endeavor. This is worth20,000 dollars and more, right here. right here. Are you ready? This is the secret to success. Outlast your critics. You know what I observed? I've observed that God tends to use the person who just doesn't know how to quit. You see, great people are not always highly gifted people. They're just people who don't know how to quit. They just keep going on a good road and keep going and going and going. And they just keep showing up. And when they get knocked down, they get back up. It's like Paul said in Second Corinthians 4. He says we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. Yeah, the devil and the world and the flesh just keep pounding on us and knocking us down, but we keep getting back up. God uses the person who never gives up for God. It just keeps on going. Let me put it to you like this. Do you want to be a mighty oak in God's kingdom? You ever look at a majestic oak tree and go, wow, that's impressive. Oak is one of the strongest woods. I mean, it is incredible. One of those hardwoods, and you look at that tree, and it's got such tremendous reach, and it's got a strong root system, and an incredible trunk. You look at a mighty oak tree, and you say, wow, I wonder how old that is, how long it took to develop that. Do you want to be a mighty oak for God? Or do you want to be a mushroom? God takes about 60 years to develop a substantial oak tree. God takes about six hours to develop a mushroom. So do you want to be a fungus that's here today and gone tomorrow? Or do you want to be a mighty oak for God? It takes time. And so you keep persevering. You keep on putting one foot in front of another. God uses the person... Who never gives up? Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let me ask you a question. What does it take to really discourage you and get you to stop? Whatever God's called you to do. See, I, I, know, I know I'm talking turkey today to some of you. I know, I know this is real for you. I know God's put a dream in your heart. But the problem is, you get disgruntled, you get discouraged, and you start stepping back and going sideways and getting off the track. You know, exit surveys have been done with pastors, for instance. Pastors are not immune to this. You know what? This stuns me. The average pastor leaves a church over eight disgruntled people. There could be hundreds that are excited and happy, but eight disgruntled people is the average in exit interviews of how many people there were that caused that pastor to leave a church. What does it take to get you discouraged? I was really down once during the college days. I'd been in college now for about three years. I was doing a lot of preaching on the weekends. And I'll never forget being in East Tennessee one weekend, preaching what we called a revival meeting and it basically was an evangelistic type meeting where we tried to, to get people to, to come to faith in Christ and preach the gospel. And, and nothing much was happening in this particular one. I didn't know what was wrong. And I was discouraged. I mean, I preached my heart out for two nights. Nothing was going on. I had a couple more services to go, and I was just discouraged. And I listened to a cassette tape someone had given me, and here's what the speaker said. He said, you don't determine a man's greatness by his talent, his wealth, or his education. You determine a man's greatness by what it takes to discourage him. Ooh, I like that. You determine a person's greatness by what it takes to discourage him or her. So what does it take to get you off of God's plan for you and cause you to want to kind of throw your hands up and quit? Whatever that is says a whole lot about the kind of fiber, the kind of character God has built into you. You've probably heard about Winston Churchill's great never give in speech, right? It's one of his top five best known speeches. He was a great orator. The wartime prime minister of Great Britain. And although the heaviest part of the bombing of, of London and other parts of England was now over... And they had made it through that. The war was still in full tilt with Nazi Germany. And the Nazis were still still doing their devastating work all across Europe and, and Great Britain. And Winston Churchill was invited to visit Harrow Men's School. The very school that he had gone to as a young man. And the students had been prepped for this visit. They had plenty of paper and pencils ready because they expected a major wartime address from the Prime Minister Winston Churchill. But it was one of his shortest speeches ever. It lasted just about four minutes. Just about four minutes. And the central message of that four-minute speech was this. These words, never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. Never doubt in the dark, brothers and sisters, what God has shown you in the light. You say, well, I've stumbled and I've fallen, pastor. Brother, get back up. Sister, don't stay down there. Don't stay down there. Get back up. Get back up and let God use your life. Expect him to use your life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 24, 16. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Now, as we move toward our close today, I want to I pose a question that I'm quite sure some of you are wondering, wondering about. And in your mind, you're saying, well, Pastor, <laughs> hey, I... I appreciate all this talk about God using you and expecting it and cooperating with God's grace and, and never giving up. Uh, awesome, awesome. But look, I'd like to have some big dreams for my life, but, but how can you balance big dreams and humility? Some of you are wondering. And some of you are wondering, well, how can I have big dreams and not have an equally big ego? How can I not get the big head disease? You're talking about God using our life. How can I balance those? Well, first of all, I commend you for asking that question. Honestly, if you're wondering that, you're really thinking the right thing because I want to tell you the two most important ingredients in God really making a positive difference in you are integrity and humility. You're right in asking that question because I want you to know There's no no sin in the Bible that God judges more harshly than pride. Not a single one. A couple of times God gave guys worms because of that. Struck them with worms. God kicked Satan out of heaven because of pride. It's a big time issue. So let me mention to you three things that I think God will use in your life. If you choose to take this little mini series seriously and say, Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm in for that. I want God to use my life. Let me tell you three things God will use to humble you. It's the section where it says, Do humility? How do humility and big dreams go together? Number one, you will be criticized unjustly. Count on it. What I'm saying to you is that if you step up and say, God, use my life, if you step out and take any risk for Jesus, if you attempt anything for the kingdom of God, I want to tell you right now, you are going to be criticized unjustly. Just, just count on it. Now I'm not going to say much about this because it's one of the things I'm going to talk about next weekend as we talk about difficult people, right? Okay? So get excited, get ready for that. But let me just say this to you. People accuse you of everything in the world of being an empire builder, of being on an ego trip, of having ulterior motives. You'll get accused of all kinds of things. And that's why you've got to learn to live for an audience of one. And every day, check your heart. You will be criticized. Number two, you will make stupid mistakes. So don't be surprised. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Some of you, God has such a plan for your life, it's incredible. God wants to use you to make a difference, but you're going to make some stupid mistakes. You may be anointed, but you're still human. And you're going you're to foul up, you're going to make some bad calls. You're not going to have the best wisdom all the time. So don't be surprised by that. The truth is we're all a bundle of strengths and weaknesses. And humility is not denying your strengths. It's just being honest about your weaknesses. Humility is not denying your strengths and say, oh, no, I'm not persuasive. Oh, I don't know much about the Bible. Oh, you know, I don't know how to think strategically. If you can. Humility is just being honest about your weaknesses. Yeah, I'm a louse at this. Fill in the blank. I really need help there. And third, you will have problems that are solvable only through prayer. Pray like crazy. If you knew the times that the burdens of this church and what God is doing here have driven me to my knees, you'd be amazed how often that happens. Where I just say, God, I, I can't do this. This is so far beyond me. God, I need your strength, I need your help. I'm in way over my head here, but I'm still expecting that you're going to use me. Grow me, Lord. I need to grow as a leader. This church can't go forward unless I grow as a leader. You're going to have problems that are solvable only through prayer. So let me ask you this question. Do you think it's easier for God to get you to dream bigger or to humble you? which is harder which is harder for God to do is it harder for God to humble you or to get you to dream bigger i don't know what your answer would be to that but i'll tell you for me god has no trouble humbling me he's got a thousand and one different ways he can humble me and by the way one of them should not be your spouse to humble you okay I like what Ruth Graham said, married to the great evangelist, Billy Graham. She said, Ruth Graham said, it's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to humble him. God can humble me so easily. Just when I think I've got it under control, whoo, he pulls the rug out from me me. go, yeah, God, thanks for the reminder. It's all of you, isn't it? But I think for most of us, God has a bigger challenge getting us to dream a little bit and to believe God a little bit more so folks as we close i just want to say this from my heart god really does want to use you god i i I believe if you could see behind the curtain and see what god really wants to do with you i i think you would be so i think you'd have goosebumps you'd smile a smile that would light up this room You'd be so excited if you could see behind the curtain what God wants to do. I'm convinced of that. But let me tell you something. A lot of that depends on how much you're willing to expect and trust and believe God. I'll grant you. There are a lot of sovereignty factors that you cannot control. You could not control where where you were born, what your family of origin was gonna be. You could not control your ethnicity or how you were brought up by whoever raised you we have no control over that you have no control over how tall you're going to be you have no control over your basic physical makeup all of that was the hand you were dealt right but there's one thing you have control over and that's how much you're going to choose to believe god In my opinion, in my opinion, the reason Grace Fellowship is abundantly blessed is because it's just got a whole bunch of people like you who are just willing to believe God a little bit more than usual. Final verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Friends, you've got to memorize this verse. Look at what it says. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I used to think God was a little arbitrary in who he chose to use. I used to think that God's sovereignty meant that he just went out and said, I think I'll use you over there. Yeah, and you right there in the red sweater. And over here, yeah, you, the one that's looking confused. And you right here, I'll use you too. And you and you, the rest of you are out of luck. I don't believe that. I believe God uses the person who's got a God-given dream, who's willing to risk even failure, the person who expects to be used by God, and the person who just keeps on going and never gives up. So here's the deal. Some of you are very discouraged right now. It's It's like the tide is out in your life. Do you know what I mean by that? I I like to go to the ocean. My family and I all enjoy the ocean whenever we get to go. And You know, there's one thing I know about the ocean as I've just watched the tides go in and out. When the tide is out, the beach, can we be honest, is pretty ugly. It can have a lot of litter on it, a lot of kind of unsightly wood and stuff. It can have some dead seaweed that actually kind of stinks when the tide is out it can be pretty ugly and right now for some of you in your life it's like the tide is out things are kind of ugly in your life right now circumstances one of the reasons i love to go to the beach (laughs) it's just kind of a spiritual reminder to me whenever i'm a little bit discouraged and down Tide goes out, but the tide always, always comes back in. And it's going to come back in on your life too. So I leave you with this poem that's always meant a lot to me. I ask you to not let go of God and not let go of the dream he's put in your heart. The poem says, I want to let go. But I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night for God and the right. And I'll never let go. I want to let go. But I won't let go. I'm sick, tis true. And worried and blue. And worn through and through. But I'll never let go. I want to let go. But I won't let go. I will never yield. What? Lie down on the field and surrender my shield no i'll never let go i want to let go but i won't let go may this be my song mid legions of wrong oh god make me strong so i'll never let go father help us as your people To understand we are loved by a father who cares. Help us, Lord, to grab a hold of that dream. To be willing to risk even failure to pursue it. To have this enthusiastic expectancy that you're really going to use our lives. And then to be willing to never give up understanding that while the tide may be out, that tide is always going to come back in. Help us to be that kind of a people. And I pray that you would make us so useful that you would just blow our minds with how you use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.